0: this is a podcast by wellhouse church where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. hey man what's going on
1: oh not much man it's a good good day i got my i got my bible back
0: it looks good yeah, it looks really good. Yeah,
1: thanks. She did a great job. So, for those of you who uh, are not watching on video, I had a, a friend of mine rebind one of my Bibles, and I haven't been using this particular Bible because I haven't had it uh, for about six weeks. Yeah. And it's it's like my favorite Bible. Yeah. So, she did, it needed to be rebound. Because it had a lot of like front and back matter that I didn't want, uh, I needed some extra personalizations, like some extra ribbons put into it, um, and for different reasons. And so, but she did. She did a great job. She let me pick the the leather. She gave me a couple of different binding options to pick from. Mm-hmm. She hand stitched it a double wow. stitch. I mean, she just did a superb job. I couldn't be more happy. So I'm excited to have it back. I'm going to get to introduce you guys to uh, one of my favorite Bible translations today, which is the Voice Bible. So I'm I'm all around stoked.
0: Yeah. So first of all, she did a great job, and I might be calling her to rebind some of my Bibles. Oh yeah, great. She's she's
1: she, very affordable. She did
0: she did a great job. That looks beautiful. But um, so. Where we're starting this sermon from Luke 4, correct? Yep. We're talking about who does Jesus say that Jesus is?
1: Yeah, so I think throughout the church, if you've been around for a while, you've maybe heard a famous sermon uh, that everybody does Mm. called Who Do People Say That I Am? Uh, And it's Jesus asking Peter, who does everybody else say that I am? But one thing I don't think we do a good job of is looking at what Jesus said he was, mm. or who Jesus thought that he was. Yeah, um, and that's funny because he tells us. Yeah, like he has one identifying moment in the Gospel of Luke where, like, he just straight up tells us exactly who he is and what he's going to do. And I think we commonly overlook it. Mm. We'll go to Luke to look at the birth narrative. Right. Right. We'll right. get that beautiful poem or song from Mary. We'll get that prophecy from Zechariah, but like we'll miss all the other beauty that's in Luke a lot of the time, except right. the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right. Like we'll also take that one. Right. But I feel like we kind of overlook this text and it's really, really important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the text that we're going to be is Luke chapter four beginning in verse uh, 14 it says jesus returned to galilee in the power of the holy spirit and soon people across the whole region had heard news of him so this just for context he's been baptized and if you remember in all the gospel narratives as soon as he's baptized or all the synoptic gospel narratives as soon as he's baptized the the spirit leads him to go into the desert Mm. to be tempted and he goes. And so we're just coming out of the temptation narrative, uh, in, in this section of the context. And so picking up in verse 15, he, Jesus would regularly go into their synagogues and teach his teaching, earned him the respect and admiration of everyone who heard him. So that's something that like, We don't talk about is Jesus was a teacher, right? He just went around teaching. I mean, multiple
0: times he's called a rabbi, right? Which literally means
1: teacher. Right, exactly. So Jesus is a very famous teacher in his region at this time. He's young. He's powerful uh, in speaking, communication. And he's apparently quite a wordsmith Mm. because later uh, at the end of this, It says um, everyone was deeply impressed with the gracious words that poured from Jesus' lips. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed that he could say these things. It's verse 22. So apparently he's quite the communicator. Yeah. Um, And so he's beginning to earn a reputation, not only in, in Mark's account, a miracle worker, but in Luke's account, also a teacher, mm. like he's he's a he's a dual uh, a dual threat quarterback. He, yeah, he's wearing two hats. Yeah, he can he can win the game a few different ways. And so this is, and in the Jewish world, any of age male, so anyone who had been through bar mitzvah, could enter the the synagogue, and read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Like, that was just common. If you could read Hebrew, which you could if you'd went through Bar Mitzvah, you could get up and read in the synagogue. And so Jesus does what any Jewish male would do. Mm. He comes into a town and his hometown, and he's been out doing these things. He comes back. Everybody's welcomed in. He's like, hey, stand up and read some scriptures and and preach. There's a couple interesting things I want to point out here. So, um, Verse 16 He eventually came to his hometown Nazareth and did there what he'd done elsewhere in Galilee, entered the synagogue and stood up to read from the Hebrew scriptures, just like what we talked about. Verse 17 The synagogue attendant gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and Jesus unrolled it to the place where Isaiah had written these words The Spirit of the Lord, the Eternal One, is on me. Why? Because the Eternal designated me to be his representative to the poor to preach good news to them. He sent me to tell those who are held captive that they can now be set free and to tell the blind that they can now see. He sent me to liberate those held down by oppression. In short, the Spirit is upon me to proclaim that now is the time. This is the jubilee season of the eternal one's grace. Mm. So, Jesus enters into his hometown and he stands up. this is almost his defining moment, right? Uh, his springboard of what's to come. And he says, like, "The Lord's point me here. He's anointed me." And this is this is really, really, really important language that we miss. and this is one of the things that I love about using the voice translation. We talked about this, I think, on Pints in Perspective a few weeks about the, the correlation between Messiah and Christ. Oh, yeah. Okay, but so real quick, um, Messiah is the Hebrew word that is translated into English, anointed. Mm-hmm. Christ is the Hebrew or is the Greek word that is translated into English, anointed. They are the same word. Um, and so in Messiah, like in Hebrew, the Hebrew word is mashuk. Mm-hmm. And so Messiah is just a transliteration. It's just a, a similarity of characters to make up a similar sound right. of a word that we didn't translate. Mm-hmm. Same with Christ. Christ, the Greek word is Christos. Mm-hmm. So there's these two ancient words that mean anointed that we never translated. hmm so when we come here and we read in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord, the eternal one is on me because the eternal designated me to be as representative to the poor. He anointed me mm-hmm. designated and the, the voice Bible translates Christ or Messiah as the anointed one. Yeah. So you get the similarity of language. You catch what, is happening in the text here. Jesus is coming onto the scene announcing that he is Messiah. Mm. He is the Savior that you've been waiting for. Okay, but remember, just like in any other context, country, uh, people group, who do we think are the most likely to receive good news and the most likely to be the ones that first hear of the Messiah, the people at the the tower. Yeah. The people at the top. So it's interesting that Jesus comes out. And also remember like Jesus' birth, the birth of Jesus gets announced by shepherds, Mm -hmm. like very unique that they're at the bottom of the social totem pole Mm -hmm. and they begin the announcement of, uh, his birth. In same way, the first quote-unquote preachers of the resurrection are women. Mm. It's the women that go to the empty tomb and come back, and Peter runs yeah. to see. It's the women who first say he is risen. Yeah. Uh, some of the most important messages about Jesus come from those at a low status, people of less importance according to the power structure, and the ones that he says he came for are at the bottom of the political and power structure.
0: You know, I've never, I've never thought about it that way before. Um, there, there's a a really, there's a lot there, you know? Uh, Yeah. There's a lot there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe
1: one day I'll write the book, (laughs) but I think this is so interesting. So he comes and he says, the spirit of the Lord has come upon me. So In an ancient, like in a Jew's mind, they would immediately, their mind would immediately be right there about what this is. Yeah. Like, this is the promised Messiah. Yeah. Remember, he's reading from Isaiah 61. Isaiah has several, several uh, focal chapters related to the good news and the coming Messiah. I remind you, Isaiah beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news yeah like some of the most iconic scripture verses we have about good news and Messiah come from Isaiah yeah so he says he stands up and says it's me bro this this is what's happening he says why because the eternal one is designating me to be his representative to the poor to preach good news to them. Clayton, what is good news to the poor?
0: Well, I mean, a lot of things, but food would be one. Food. Clothing.
1: Yes, food. And what do we see Jesus do? Feed. We see Jesus multiply five fish, five little bitty fish, yeah. and two loaves of bread. John tells us it's barley bread, which is poor people bread. and yeah. multiplies it to a rate to feed 20,000 people. Which, amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what is good news to the poor people? Food. Food. Like, look, basic necessities. Yeah. Like, he has appointed me, he's anointed me to be his representative to the poor, to preach good news to them. Yeah. Now, we can over-spiritualize this. Sure. And we can say it's the poor in spirit, right? We can go to the Beatitudes of Matthew. Nobody in a Jewish context is thinking that way.
0: Mm. yeah.
1: The Beatitudes ain't there. Yeah. When they hear poor— they think poor. Yeah. Like there, there's no spiritualizing this for them. And because Jesus is preaching, mm-hmm. he's preaching to his audience. In a minute, he's going to tell them this has been fulfilled before you today. Mm. He is preaching a message to his audience. Yeah. So don't spiritualize it. Yeah. Jesus wasn't. They weren't. This is literally. Poor people.
0: It, it, it's important to remember that scripture was written within a specific context. Yep, and and this specific text was written, and and was a written about Jesus speaking this sermon to a audience. Yep. Right, um, and so when he said poor, he means poor.
1: He means poor. He's not trying to spiritualize it as poor in spirit. Right, like that's not a concept that this audience has at this
0: time. Would he have even done the Sermon on the Mount yet?
1: It's hard. I mean, Sermon on the Mountain in
0: Matthew. Right, so it's kind of hard to, to line it up. Line I guess up we chrono- do really know. Well, also,
1: Matthew is not really organized according to chronology. Okay. Matthew is more organized around these five discourse narratives. Mm. Um, and so it's really hard to know, like, where, and especially since he's the only one that records that. Right. Really hard to know where it goes in the chronology. Fair enough. I'm going to venture to say no. Mm-hmm just because that's a pretty unique sermon that he's right. done there and we're Luke is trying to do a much more detailed account and probably staying more true to chronology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're early in his ministry here. Mm. So I'm gonna say no, but okay. Um, he continues on and he says, he sent me to tell those who are held captive, that they can now be set free. Once again, you could spiritualize that and you could say that it's those who are captive in their sin. That's not in these people's mind. Yeah, That's not what they're hearing. Yeah. You got to remember, these people have a history of being slaves yeah. multiple times over. They have a tangibility, mm-hmm. uh, an experience, a personal relationship with what it means to be captive mm. when he says that he's anointed me to come and tell those who are captive that they're now going to be set free. Everyone in that room is hearing that very, very literally mm. that because you got to remember Jews are still not like, they're not the most pronounced, uh, people kingdom. People. Yeah. Like, They're still subject to the Romans. Yeah. So like they still think they're captive. Yeah. Because they've been promised a king from the line of David. Mm -hmm. They're thinking that they are captive. And so when he says, I've come to bring release to the captive, they're hearing literal captive. Today, I think this is very fitting. America, the largest in the world per capita country that has the most inmates, Mm. like the most people in prison. And we're not even the largest country. Mm. Like that's a whole nother thing, but like
0: something we should talk about on let's talk. We should,
1: but it's like when, when you read this, do not spiritualize this. Yeah. These are literal people groups that Jesus is talking about he says, to tell the blind that they can now see. I don't know the actual statistic on this. But how many blind, like what percent of Americans do you think are blind? Not legally blind, but like actually blind. Like can't see, don't see anything except black. Oh, I don't know. I didn't know if you would have covered in like a social work class. No, um...
0: Yeah, I don't I don't actually know the, the answer to that question. That's a something I'm I'm actually curious to know though.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Um but I don't know a true blind person.
0: Like truly blind. Yeah, fans. not
1: legally blind, right. like where they have really prescribed glasses. Like not that, like literally cannot see.
0: Yeah, I guess I don't either. Yeah.
1: We take it for granted with modern medicine and the way that we can test people's eyes to create glasses. But even some of you that have glasses, take those glasses off, see how blind you really are Mm -hmm. and think that you've had to live your 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of life at that level of blindness. Think of how unidentifiable your spouse would be. Think of all the sunsets you would have missed think of the scenes with your children that you would have never gotten we miss so many things with our eyes if they're closed so to say to a blind person you can now see means a lot I don't know that there's a like I don't know that there's better news that you can give to a blind person yeah um
0: which we see Jesus literally heal blind people
1: Oh yeah, multiple times, and right.
0: So once again, this is one of those things that can be over spiritualized when he means it literally,
1: right? Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like none of this is Jesus wanting you to spiritualize. Right. These are real people groups, and you got to remember, in the ancient world, if you were blind, you were taken advantage of. Oh, absolutely, because you are not like you can't see. Well, and you are like, not quote unquote to society. You are not good for anything. Right? You can't work. You can't make a living. There's there's nothing of value that you provide. At that time, like right. you you literally can't that, do anything
0: that was that was the stigma around blind people in in, in this age um and Jesus
1: well, anyone that had them. any kind of handicap sure, and what Jesus is doing is he's announcing he's coming onto the scene saying, "Hey, all the people that you think aren't important, God thinks they're important mm. I think they're important. the Messiah thinks that they're important um." And lastly, he comes out and he says, he sent me to liberate those held down by oppression, those who are the general oppressed. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, we see call and call and call to care for the oppressed. Um, And oppression, man, I don't know that oppression You know, there's a famous senator that said, I can't put a definition to pornography, but I know it when I see it. Which, really a stupid kind of statement, but I don't know that I can put a definition to oppression, but I definitely know it when I see it.
0: Yeah, um, there are definitions of oppression. Um, but I
1: think they're limiting.
0: They, they are. Um, because there, there's so many different forms of oppression that mean so many different things. And, and trying to sum it up in, a, in one sentence, if you can even do that. Um, oppression affects so many people. Um, in, in so many different ways and you and i are lucky in the fact that we don't feel that.
1: Yeah, i de- yeah, we don't we don't, but um, at the same point oppression is everywhere. Yeah. Because in my understanding oppression always happens from the top. True. Sure. And i'm not at the top of any food chain. You're not at the top of any food chain. There are people that make more money than us. There are people that have more degrees than us. There are people that have more positions of power than us. There are people that live in better cities, that know more influential people. Like, There's always people above us that are making decisions for themselves that by then oppress the people below them. We experience that on a smaller scale and degree than other people, but oppression is a very real thing. Absolutely, it is. And so when Jesus comes out and says to liberate those who are held down by oppression. That could be anyone and potentially everyone. Yeah. Um, you got to remember that these, this is an audience of a people that have been promised a king. They've been promised a savior. And here they are held captive by an empire. They are oppressed. Their region has been overtaken by the Roman government like they are living in oppression. And so when they hear these things, yeah, yeah, out of boy Jesus, out of boy mm. Jesus. And look, it says in verse 19, in short, the spirit is upon me to proclaim that now is the time. Mm. That is do not miss that. Yeah. That now is the time. That is a revelation To the original audience, Jesus is saying, now is the time. This is the Jubilee season of the eternal one's grace. Like, do you remember what Jubilee is? I don't. Jubilee is something that happens in Jewish culture, and it's literally a freeing of debts. Mm. It is like, it's across the board. It is the thing that people wait for. Yeah. Like it's the thing, it's the expectant. It's the thing that everybody's looking forward to. He says, now is the time for Jubilee. Mm. And then he rolls up the scroll, returned it to the synagogue attendant. He sat down, which side note here, um, he stood up to read from the text and sat down to preach. What do we do? We stand up to preach. Yeah, and we sit down to read the text. Yeah. Uh, wonder what that says about us, but...
0: I mean, there are some churches, to be fair, that actually stand for the for the reading, but...
1: Yeah, but they also stand to preach. It's also true. So there's no elevation of God's word. Right. It's just equal with the words I'm about to say. Yeah. So, but, and all in the synagogue focused their attention on Jesus, waiting for him to speak... He told them that these words from the Hebrew scriptures were being fulfilled then and there in their hearing. Like, so this moment is iconic because Jesus says, not only is this what I've come to do, but this is being fulfilled right now. Like, now is the time to experience salvation, now is the time for the Messiah to come on scene. It's happening now, but it didn't go to any categorical people group that we would have thought it went to. Yeah. It went to all the people that nobody cared about. Yeah. Nobody cares about people who are oppressed. Nobody cares about people who are blind. Nobody cares about captives. Mm -hmm. Like, it went to all the people that nobody cared about Mm. because god cares about the people that nobody cares about yeah like there's no person out here with any amount of baggage any past any position in society that's like removed from the love and grace of god and jesus comes on and it becomes a very common theme throughout luke that it's a power struggle you know the inverted kingdom Mm. right you've heard me talk about this um we get that from Luke. Yeah. Like Luke's the one that draws that out for us. Um, Luke details that, that it's not about power. It's not about position. It's not about status. It's not about wealth. It's about humanity. Yeah. And so because it's not about that structure, in fact, it's inverted. We now see Jesus when he comes and he says, it's for these people when he goes, he goes on. We don't have time to detail it, but he goes on to detail this out more, and he tells this story of Elijah in Second Kings, where he goes uh, into a, a foreign land and receives oil, or he receives bread from this woman, um, and he blesses her. Well, she's an outsider. Yeah. He tells that story in this text. They run him out of town and try to kill him. Go on and read the rest of Luke's chapter 4. They run him out of town and try to kill him. They do. For what he's just taught. Because the gospel is for outsiders. The gospel is for the marginalized. The gospel is for the people that nobody cares about.
0: Yeah, so uh, let's leave you guys with this. Um, What... Does the term Christian mean? Cohen. It
1: means like Christ. Like Christ.
0: If that is what Jesus is teaching, mm. shouldn't that therefore mean that that is what we should be doing? Yeah. Shouldn't we be going to the captive? Shouldn't we be going to the poor? Shouldn't we be going to the people that are differently abled? Right? Shouldn't we be going to the generally oppressed and caring for them, loving them, and if we get the opportunity to share the gospel. Well said. All right. Thanks for coming along coming along with us guys.